Hello everyone, welcome to Ask a Therapist. This is Nikita and Zam, and we are two psychotherapists here to answer your questions about love, life, and health. You know, in our private practice, Nikita and I see couples, individuals, and families. However, we're so passionate about this particular podcast because we're trying to reach a greater number of people at the same time. We want to demystify therapy. We want to open the door to therapy for you and introduce you to our tools and techniques that you can actually apply in your real life. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Ask a Therapist. Today, we'd like to talk about suicide and demystifying suicide with a focus in South Asian communities. So wanted to take this moment to offer a trigger warning for anyone who might find this distressing or triggering. Feel free to pause and leave this episode and come back to it at a later time when you're ready to hear that. And for those listeners who find talking about suicide uncomfortable or who haven't had the environment where this is talking talked about freely, push through those uncomfortable feelings and do give this podcast a listen because we're talking about some really important stuff here today. Perfect. So we'll be talking a little bit about what suicidal ideation is, what it could look like, um, the intersection of the South Asian culture and suicide, some common myths around suicide, and lastly, how you can help someone who may be experiencing thoughts of self-harm or suicide around you. Mm-hmm. Nikita, suicide is is really complicated, <clears throat> right? It's, you know, oftentimes it's seen as simply psychological and biological, um, where Physically, someone decides to end their life, and then it always sort of traces back to what were what was their mental state like. Mm-hmm. But the reason why we decided to do an entire episode on this is because there's so many social, cultural, and spiritual factors mm-hmm. that come into play that are never talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, because suicide and suicidal ideation is stigmatized mm-hmm. in our communities. Yes, that's a really good point. And I think it's important for us to highlight that suicidal ideation is not, you know, just a linear process. It's not a linear thing from feeling extremely depressed to thinking of suicide. It's not just related, like you're saying, to the um, depressed state of mental health. There's a lot more factors, right, that can amplify the suicidal ideation or can actually work as protective factors around it. Yeah. And so why don't we go ahead and share with our listeners, you know, many of which I imagine probably have never had a conversation with someone about suicide and are wondering what those thoughts look like. Mm -hmm. So when someone says suicidal ideation, we want you to know that ideation actually means thoughts, intention, plan, means. So it's the whole sort of plethora of different ways someone can actually experience suicide and a lot of the times these thoughts are not just intentional thoughts they can also just be intrusive thoughts about suicide that a person may not have any control over but speaking from an emotional place suicidal ideation can look like hopelessness a sense of helplessness right just really feeling trapped in their situation and feeling like they have no control or no influence 
over what's happening around them. Absolutely. I think that's the key part. You know, I've, I've read a lot of articles that have said hopelessness really presents itself in South Asian cultures. Mm-hmm. And the idea that, like you said, there's no control over what's happening to you. And that can also be tied with the impression that other people have of you, mm-hmm. right? We hear instances of suicide in our communities um, where someone has been shunned from the community, mm-hmm. right? And they feel like they don't have any control over sort of entering back into the community or the image they formed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they feel like that's the only way out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Suicide ideation can also look like a drastic change in someone's appearance, right? So again, not looking at these in isolation, but also looking at a lot of these symptoms in in conjunction with one another, but that drastic change in appearance um, as well that that you didn't see coming. And that so this is a drastic change in appearance where they're looking maybe a little bit more disheveled or their appearance is not in entirely line with maybe how they're feeling or what's happening in their surroundings Mm -hmm. it also could be a shift from what they're usually like right if someone is you know usually dressing quite smart or you know hygiene is important to them and then for quite some time you notice that they're not quite themselves that could be an indicator of an internal state Um, another one is you know speaking about death and dying and sort of bringing it up in normal conversation. When it comes to thoughts of suicide, the pattern that I've noticed with clients is that anyone who's had suicidal ideation, the one thing that they have in common is that those thoughts scare them, mm-hmm. right? It's quite scary, especially when you're having suicidal ideation for the first time mm-hmm. and they feel intrusive. You get scared about what's happening to you or what you might do. And oftentimes bringing up death with, with you know, the people around you could, could look like just trying to talk about something that's scary for you. Um, and it could also look like sussing out the situation and seeing, you know, how people react to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly, because it's hard to come right out right? And obviously express that they are experiencing thoughts of suicide because it's such a scary thing for the person as well. Yeah. So this can be a way for them to test the waters. Exactly. And I do want to take a moment here and say when, if someone is bringing up death with you or saying something like, you know, oh, if I'm gone, no one's going to miss me. Oftentimes we have the reflex to sort of minimize that thought and say, no, don't talk about that or uh, you don't know what you're talking about and sort of move on. If someone is bringing something like that up with you, it's an indication that you need to spend time with that thought Mm -hmm. and ask questions Um, because if you sort of just gloss over it, then you are um, reinforcing the idea that this person has no one to talk to you about this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. And if you're actually looking for strategies on how you can support someone, we will be talking more about that towards the end. So stay tuned for that. So another way 
that suicidal ideation can present itself is the person may report feeling just really overwhelmed, right? And this goes in hand with this feeling of hopelessness and helplessness in the face of not just adversity, but this like sheer sense of panic and overwhelmed with what's going on around them. And that can create a lot of emotional pain that you feel like you have no escape from. Yeah. Yeah. As well as, you know, withdrawing from friends and family socially, um, Mm -hmm. not wanting to participate and getting affairs in order. You know, we often hear this and what that means is starting to give away their prized possessions, Mm -hmm. um, things like clothes or mementos they like to hold on to, um, you know, starting to spend their money, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the common ways that, that you can notice suicidal ideation, that it may present itself. If you are looking for some resources to read up on this, we will link those in the description as always. We do try to focus on on what it's like to be a minority in the minority experience when it comes to any talk, topic we talk about. And this is no different. Very little research has been done on what suicidal ideation looks like in the South Asian community. And this is absolutely necessary because we are not a homogenous community, mm-hmm. right? We sometimes look the same, but we're all very, very different. Mm-hmm. And this is necessary for culturally competent screening of someone's suicidal thoughts as well as trying to prevent it and intervening yeah definitely someone's sense of culture whether that's you know spiritual religious culture informs their sense of self their identity how they think how they function in the world in such large ways so how they think about suicide and suicidal ideation isn't also going to be affected by that mm-hmm. so it's really important to take this into consideration as well there's a lot of elements of the south asian culture that can be both protective and risk factors mm-hmm. for suicide so for example the fact that we are more collectivistic culture than an individualistic culture culture can serve as a protective factor. Mm-hmm. What can also be a protective factor is a sense of spirituality, right? Mm-hmm. That is so common within some South Asian cultures and that sense of religiosity, feeling that you there is a higher power that you can defer some responsibility to and have faith in can be a really strong protective factor when it comes to suicide. And some risk factors that can be born out of this real sense of connectedness that um, the South Asian culture propagates is the is discrimination and, and prejudice when you are not part of the status quo, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, coming out as you know part of the queer community. Or we've heard of stories of people deciding to marry out of faith um, or out of caste and, and, you know, being sort of excommunicated from their community. That can serve as a risk factor mm-hmm. for suicide. Mm-hmm. Being shamed for being different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's a common one. A lot of research is now showing us that South Asian adolescents between 18 to 25, and especially South Asian women, are at an elevated risk for suicide. 
Right, mm-hmm. that's a really common age group where we're seeing a lot of self, a lot of self harm, a lot of thoughts of not wanting to be here. Why do you think that is, Sam? What comes up for you with that statistic? Well, I can't help but think of you know first generation immigrants at that age and trying to find the balance between you know the South Asian culture and the North American culture and and research has shown that straddling those two cultures really creates a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're outside in society, you have stress to conform and assimilate. And then when you're in the home, Mm -hmm. you have stress to conform and assimilate (laughs) and pressure being put on by your parents. Um, And really a child that age never really quite catches a break at all. Mm -hmm. Especially at that time, I think, developmentally speaking as teenagers that is a developmental period where you're looking for your like that sense of power yeah Um, this is where you're learning where do I belong in the world what is my purpose what is my role and all of that can get lost and striving between these two very opposing yeah cultures I imagine that young people that age may try to talk to their families or their elders Mm -hmm. about their internal environment and what's happening for them or what might be happening at school Mm -hmm. um but families and elders can be quite dismissive of -hmm. someone who's struggling right Mm -hmm. especially a child um saying things like well you have it easy you have a roof over your head and food on the table you're going to a good school what more do you need yeah families and elders they're not used to talking about suicide Mm -hmm. so bringing that up with them might really overwhelm them and Mm -hmm. dismissing you when you're bringing it up um, can be a way to self-regulate and and sort of Mm -hmm. protect themselves 100 percent, right it's no one likes to feel panicked and overwhelmed and no one likes to feel out of control and a topic like that can be so scary and so 100% I think for some of the older people they're much more likely to you know think that oh my gosh I don't want to talk about this this is overwhelming for me as well so you know what dismiss it minimize it move on Um, I also think that for some families and elders maybe you know thinking that talking about suicide will somehow make them complicit Mm -hmm. right in this thing that is so terribly stigmatized but that reinforces this idea that this is shameful, right? Because when no one is talking about it, it fuels the idea that this thing is shameful. Then it only grows. And then you don't feel like you can talk to anyone in your environment about it. Absolutely. And I think that's a good segue into the five common myths around suicide that um, Nikita and I have curated. That we think can particularly apply to the South Asian culture, the minority, any minority culture, and that's that's the big one. Mm-hmm. If we talk about suicide, we're going to encourage the person to do mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, so just don't talk about it, and the thought will eventually disappear from their mind. Newsflash: If someone is thinking about suicide, if someone is thinking about suicide, and the thoughts have already the thoughts already in their mind. You Mm -hmm. avoiding the topic is not going to help them at all. No, not at all. This kind of reminds me of this narrative around sex education in early Mm -hmm. age. If you talk about sex, then they're going to want to do it. (laughs) That's exactly right. But you're not reinforcing 
the act of it by talking about suicide when someone needs that you are helping them feel like they're less alone and the second one is suicide happens suddenly or it's out of the blue Mm -hmm. um this is a complicated one right because research has shown that there's differences in the way both men and women decide to end their lives Mm -hmm. the lethality Mm -hmm. basically of the methods Mm -hmm. that they choose however if someone is committed to completing their life and ending their life Mm -hmm. um this is something they've been thinking about and Mm -hmm. something they've been planning for um so it's it's not sudden or out of the blue it's likely that those um signs were missed Exactly. And that's the thing. That's why it feels out of the blue or sudden for Mm -hmm. family members and friends because they never, this person never talked to them about it. Right. But that just because you weren't aware of it doesn't make it out of the blue. Yeah. Maybe there were some signs that you missed for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This, these suicidal ideation usually does start out as very passive, intrusive thoughts, right? About, oh, it'll be so much easier if I just don't wake up tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then it turns into a more intentional type of thinking, which then turns into a plan and gathering means. It's definitely a progression. Definitely a progression. And that's why it's important to intervene as early as possible mm-hmm. when someone is having those passive thoughts of suicide. And just because someone is having passive thoughts of suicide doesn't mean that they will for sure, you know, commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And something to be also really mindful of as you're intervening with this person in your life and you're trying to talk to them about suicide, being really mindful of your language. Um, This language around a person committed suicide really criminalizes the act of suicide, which makes it this criminal act, this terrible thing to do, which only then further stigmatizes suicide, right? So... An alternative way of talking about this or speaking about suicide is that they, a person attempted suicide or they died by suicide, right? This can make this other person feel a lot more comfortable and safe in a conversation with you. Yeah. You know, this, this makes me think about, you know, the handful of clients I have who identify as minority and when they're trying to talk to me about their thoughts of suicide they call them dark thoughts Mm -hmm. right it's very rare where you have a client that comes out and says hey I'm having thoughts of suicide Mm -hmm. right unless someone has named that for them before and they've had experience talking about it Mm -hmm. it's very rare and that's something that you need to listen out for a lot of people won't come out and tell you I'm having Mm -hmm. thoughts of killing myself. They might say I'm having dark thoughts, um, you know, heavy thoughts. I was in a dark place. Mm -hmm. And as a therapist, I use that opportunity to just very sort of directly ask the question. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you bring the word suicide into the room and you destigmatize it, Mm -hmm. um, then you can talk about it so much easier. Because if you're avoiding it, um, then the person you're telling the other person that this is something that makes you uncomfortable and they're less likely to share with you. Exactly. 
another myth around suicide is that suicidal ideation doesn't happen to people who are mm -hmm. high functioning or quote unquote educated. Right? We saw this so much with the recent the Bollywood actor who ended mm -hmm. his life, the instant sort of reactions were, but I don't understand. Mm -hmm. You know, he was so educated. He was so handsome. He was so famous. He had everything. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why he took mm -hmm. his life. Mm -hmm. He was so educated. Um, I mean, this is a really complex narrative, mm. right? And I don't know if, to do justice to that narrative, I think we would need to spend like several episodes deconstructing it. But what just so amazes me in that narrative is that this person has, you know, things like a great degree and certain social status and certain physical appearance. And somehow all of that can negate their troubled like inner world that can take away right, from their depression. Yeah. And here's the thing, right, listeners, that people who are quote unquote high functioning, who can sort of complete those those activities of daily living in society, hold mm -hmm. on a job, you know, hold on a very good job, have a family, mm -hmm. um, they're the people who are less likely to get help. Mm -hmm. And that's the area that Nikita and I specialize in. Mm -hmm. um, those high-functioning, stressed-out professionals mm. who, you know, really sort of get to the place in their lives where they feel, but I've always wanted to be here, mm -hmm. but I'm not happy. Mm -hmm. I thought this would make me happy when I have mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. job, that house, that partner, yeah. and here I am, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm. And you know, it's important for us to emphasize that depression does not discriminate against your high-functioning status or your education or your social socioeconomic status, right? Suicidal ideation is really a very, very dark place in depression. Um, so just being mindful of that. And then another one that we hear is, you know, if someone is feeling better, then they're completely out of risk of suicide. Mm -hmm. Again, a complex one. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think you remember this, Nikita, when we were doing our masters together. Mm -hmm. You know, almost every class would would have this one line of when people are sort of experiencing depression, but are starting to feel better mm -hmm. and look better. That's when they're at the highest risk of suicide because now they have the energy to complete suicide or right. Exactly. And, and that's a really tough one for people to stomach because it's so natural to think that, you know, if someone is feeling better, looking better, um, that they're indeed sort of coming out of what they're experiencing. And it's not to say they aren't, it's, that you need to continue to keep an eye on them and sort of support them continuously, even after they're quote unquote feeling better. Exactly. Like you mm -hmm. said, it's a, a renewed sense of energy and purpose that they might feel that, you know, now that I have this energy and I have made this decision to do this, right. To end my life. And usually there's a lot of 
confusion. There's a lot of back and forth when someone is contemplating suicide. And that decision to then attempt can be seen as a renewed sense of energy. Mm -hmm. looking better and the last one that we want to talk about which is I think the most important one is well you know they're selfish for attempting suicide they're selfish for thinking about this and this is not just a common narrative in the South Asian communities but I think in general right in the world um, that someone is selfish because they're thinking of ending their life when it's actually the exact opposite of that. Someone who's contemplating suicide can feel like they're a burden on their mm-hmm. friends and family and a burden on the world. So by ending their life, they are removing this burden that is themselves. What comes up for you? Because I want to talk about this myth. For me, it's twofold. I can, I can hear the judgment Mm-hmm. And I can also hear the pain of mm-hmm. the families that are left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me think how alone this person must have felt, mm-hmm. you know, in that moment. That's, to be honest, Nikita, that's what I always think about when I hear stories of suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, I always think about how alone in that very, very moment that person must have felt and if your instant thought is this person is selfish for what they did what I sort of want to say to you is it's not about you no it's not about you at all Mm -hmm. and it, it needed to be more about them exactly usually suicide is a last resort for someone right so they have been trying anything and everything to improve their situation right so usually suicide is not an effort to to end their life it's seen as an effort to end their pain and nothing else has worked in ending this pain that they're constantly in exactly they feel trapped and that's the only way out exactly all right let's talk a little bit about how you can help someone who's experiencing suicidal thoughts. Again, we may not be able to cover every single thing, so we will link um, some training courses in the GTA and some articles to read in the description, so you can always look into that as well. I think the first thing to keep in mind, and and this might be the most important thing, is to always have a non-judgmental stance, mm-hmm. right? And And really try hard to remain calm Mm-hmm. And and not make things about yourself, like we talked about earlier. Exactly. Something that we do as therapists when it comes to um, helping someone who's experiencing is we, we really try to deconstruct like what's happening by assessing for just suicidal thoughts, but also if there's any intention to act on these thoughts, right? What is the intensity of these thoughts? How frequent are they? Is there a plan? Is there a means to carry out that plan? So these are so many different components. So just something to keep an eye out for as maybe you're talking to someone. Just don't label them as this is someone who is suicidal and I need to get them Mm -hmm. out of it. But, you know, what does this look like for them, actually? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And while you're talking to them, you can also gently find reasons for living in their narratives Mm -hmm. and 
this is what we call identifying those protective factors. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, saying right now suicide appears to be the answer because of X, Y, Z, whatever's going on in your life. But I also hear you saying that there's a part of you that wants to live because, and it could be, you know, your children, your pet, mm-hmm. you love your work. Um, and both Nikita and I have seen this with clients. It really does not take too, too much mm-hmm. to help someone hold on, right? Mm-hmm. I've had a client who has held on because there won't be anyone to to water her plants when she's Mm -hmm. gone or to feed her dog, Mm -hmm. right? Mm. The sense of hope, right? That's what we're trying to generate, sense of hope and belonging and that you can do that through collaboration and care, right? Instead of being judgmental or scared, terrified by their pain, take a moment to show that you are in this together with them and that you may not be able to exactly understand what they're going through, but you care for them and that they're not alone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And speaking of not being alone, you know, resiliency comes from building that network of support. Mm -hmm. And so we encourage the person who's experiencing thoughts of suicide um, to also talk to a therapist. Yes. Right. You need to talk to a professional who will know exactly how to assess for what's happening and, you know, help put interventions in place Mm -hmm. that will build on the interventions that you're already putting in place as a family member, as a friend. Um, It's really important that everyone in the network of support sort of work together, Mm -hmm. right? And you can do so many things as a friend or a family member Mm -hmm. um, to support someone experiencing thoughts of suicide, you know, checking on them frequently, Mm -hmm. um, driving them to their therapy appointments Mm -hmm. and, you know, waiting in the um, waiting room. We have, Mm -hmm. we see that so much, right? We always see families waiting in the waiting room and it's so great Mm -hmm. um, to see that. Because these small tasks can feel overwhelming, Mm -hmm. and especially going to a therapist, it might be so overwhelming that the person might not do it at all. Exactly. So it's not just the verbal support, but also offering, like Sam said, to drive them to their appointments, offering to help them find a list of therapists, offering to help them in any other tasks that they might find overwhelming. If you're speaking to this person that you love and they're expressing suicidal ideation. And if this seems like an imminent plan that they are you know, extremely high risk and they're going to carry it out right away, then it may be helpful to gently engage like some emergency services, right? To help get that support for this person. But if the risk is not imminent, if these are passive thoughts or if these are intrusive thoughts, Um, help them make a safety plan, right? Talk to them about in that moment, what would make them feel better? So a safety plan could include some self-soothing strategies, like some meditation or some yoga or some journaling. And also, you know, ending with calling a crisis line to have a social worker to talk to on the other line. Yeah. Safety planning could also look like if you know, for example, that, someone's plan includes 
cutting themselves, for example, mm -hmm. or if you know someone is already cutting, um, to collaboratively talk with them about removing any sharp objects from their, from their room, for example. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. notice how we're saying collaboratively and not sort of going in and taking things from their room and hiding them away. Um, asking them, do you want me to hang on to these scissors mm -hmm. for the next couple of months? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'll keep them safe. Or, hey, do you think we can put the pills on a really high shelf mm -hmm. so that, you know, even that couple of minutes that it would take for someone to get on a stool and try to reach for that is enough time to sort of help them um, regulate and, and think about whether this is something they want to go through or not. Exactly. Exactly. And if you're hearing frequent complaints about their situation from them, just remember that every expression of suicidal ideation or helplessness is a cry for help. Right. So stop telling them to keep pushing through and stop telling them, you know, well, things will get better if you just do X, Y, and Z, or if you just keep your head up, right? That can fall under the category of, I think, like unhelpful, unsolicited advice mm -hmm. right? and can further reinforce that sense of loneliness because then they will only perceive you as someone that they can't talk to and someone who doesn't get it. So be an active listener by listening more than you are speaking. And if you are interested in exactly how to do that, um, we'd be happy again to list some resources in our description box. And if you are in the GTA, there's a, if you are in the GTA, CMHA does an assist training, which is um, applied suicide intervention skills that is open for the general public. So you don't need to be a qualified professional to get this training. So get that training, right? That's a great start. Yeah. And we really hope that you found this helpful today. Mm -hmm. It's time to start demystifying therapy amongst minority communities. Mm -hmm. And we really wanted to talk about this because we knew how a lot of our listeners were shocked by what happened um, and Bollywood recently and mm -hmm. if you found this helpful and if you think someone else might find it helpful send them the link to this podcast send it to your mom send it to your grandma mm -hmm. you know have them listen to it um, oftentimes people will listen to a professional and have more of an open mind um, mm -hmm. than to a lay person so please feel free to share this yes and if you liked it, please feel free to subscribe and rate our episode. And if, again, this has been a heavy topic for you, like we said in the beginning, and just check in with yourself, check in with how you're feeling right now, what's happening in your body. And if you're feeling heavy or you're feeling a little bit tired from this, just take extra moments for self-care today. Great. We'll see you next week. Take care. That brings us to the end of today's episode of Ask a Therapist. Thank you so much for spending time with us. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review down below. If you have any questions you'd like us to answer, please send us an email. The address is in the description box below and include podcast in the subject line. You can choose to remain anonymous. Thanks, everyone.